Today, I want to ask you to go ahead and take your Bible out and turn to the book of Revelation. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to move on in to Revelation chapter 2. And of course, I know today is Mother's Day. And as we start, we just want to say thank you to all our moms and just tell our moms just how much we love them. And we know, according to God's Word, there is a very specific reason that God has placed moms on this earth And it's the same reason God placed dads on this earth. Moms and dads, Christian parents, what we're to do as parents is we are to reflect who God is to our children. And we're to pass that on generation to generation to generation. You see, truly the only way we can fully reflect who God is and the full image of God is in a Christian marriage where two become one flesh, both male and female. It takes the male and female brought together by God to fully reflect the image of God because each of us brings something different into that relationship that reflects who God is. So for the mom, the characteristic that she reflects of who God is, for me more than any other, is sacrificial love. There is nothing like a godly mom who loves her children because she loves them sacrificially. And that's the exact same way that God loves us, his children. And we see that sacrifice on the cross as Jesus Christ sacrifices himself because he loves us. And so a mom is to pass that sacrificial love on to her children. But not only a mom to pass it on to her children, God has called us, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, to pass the sacrificial love of Jesus on to the world so that they can know the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Romans 8, 39 says. And so the church is commanded and called to do just that. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. We see that call, especially in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. And what that does is that leads us into the rest of Revelation. Because you must understand these three chapters because they're the foundation for everything else we will study. Because so many people have different views and different ideas of Revelation. But if you understand these first three chapters, you understand that God is writing this letter, the book of Revelation, to his church so that they will be ready, so that they will be prepared when tribulation comes. Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised by the fiery trials which you are enduring. And we are going to experience fiery trials. It is just reality. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is reality for us as a church. Because God has called the church to advance his kingdom. And he's called the church to, to bring his kingdom for fulfillment. And that kingdom will be fulfilled when Christ Jesus returns to this earth. And so as I teach Revelation, these three chapters really are going to be the foundation for us. Because if you're like me, when I was growing up, I was taught that the church is going to be gone, basically, at Revelation chapter 4, because Jesus will come and rapture the church and take us out of the world, and we'll just be sitting in heaven watching what unfolds. Well, I don't believe that's biblical. And I'm going to show you why I don't believe that's biblical because I specifically don't believe that's what Jesus Christ teaches. I believe that the church is going to be on this earth for a period of time to usher in the return of Christ Jesus. And we're going to learn that and you're going to see the foundation for that and why the church is called to proclaim the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. 
So as we turn to God's word there, I'm going to look back in Revelation 1 just for a second because I want to set up what we're going to talk about in Revelation 2. And as we begin, I just want to look there at verse 19 again because I want you to see the outline of what we're going to study the whole way through as we study Revelation 1 all the way through Revelation 22. Because in verse 19 of chapter 1, this is what Jesus tells the Apostle John to write down. He says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. Now those three points are the outline of Revelation. What John did is he wrote down what he saw. That's Revelation chapter 1. And what he saw was Jesus Christ, the unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. And then the second part of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, he says, write down the things that are happening now. Now these things were happening in AD 90, but they're also happening today in 2020. This is the church, and it's the church then, and it is the church now. And it is the church that Jesus Christ established to advance his kingdom. And so we'll be looking at that the next couple of weeks. And then we get to Revelation chapter 4, and we're going to study what everybody wants to know, the things that will happen. What is going to happen in the future? Whenever that future is, we're going to see what the Word of God says will happen, why it will happen, and how it will happen. So we will see those three parts. But today, where we're moving on to are the things that are happening now, what is happening in the present. And basically, we're living Second Peter 3, 9. We are living in God's patience. We are living in his age of grace or his church age where he has called the church to make his name known so that people will not be destroyed, but so that they will turn back to him and be saved. So as we look at that, I just want you to see what is going to set up Revelation chapter 2 again in Revelation chapter 1. Because last week as John wrote down what he saw and as we looked at it, we saw the only physical description of Jesus Christ in all the Bible. This is the only time it tells us what he looks like. And I just want you to see that again because I want you to see something very specific in that image that John shows us. So look at verse 12 there of chapter 1. John says, When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone who looked like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. John goes on to describe Jesus Christ there and describe his glory and what he looks like. But What's so interesting to me is when he sees Jesus Christ, what he sees is seven gold lampstands. Now, if you read on into or verse 20 of chapter 1, he tells us exactly what that is. The lampstands represent the church. Now here, the only physical description we have of Jesus Christ in the Bible, that description includes the church. Why is that description of Jesus and the church? It's because they are inseparable. And that's why in the Bible, one of the images the Bible uses for Jesus and the church, it says that Jesus is like a groom coming back for his bride. The bride of Christ is his church. And if you, a believer, a brother and sister are called and are betrothed to Jesus, then you are part of the church and you are inseparable from Jesus Christ. That's why in Matthew, Jesus says about a husband and wife that a man should leave his parents and he should go to his wife and the two become one. And then he says this, what God has joined together, no man can separate. Now, the same is true for Jesus and the church. 
what God has joined together, no man can separate. And that's why Romans 8.38 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there, we are seeing the church with Jesus. And John sees the image of seven golden lampstands. Now that word seven there is going to become very important in the book of Revelation because we're going to see that number, that word, over and over and over again, and we're going to see other numbers in the book of Revelation. But when we study numbers in Hebrew or Jewish writings, that number seven is the number for perfection. And that's what Jesus is doing to his church. He's sanctifying us. He's perfecting us, and we will be perfect, the bride of Christ, ready for the return of her groom. But also, it's interesting, the image that John sees for the church is he sees us as a lamp. Because that's what a lampstand is. A lampstand is just a stand with a lamp on it. And that's how he sees the church when he sees Jesus Christ. Why is that what he sees? Because that's how Jesus describes us. In the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in his first sermon. He says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. Now, who is you there? He's talking to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And the word there, you, is not singular. It's plural. So he's talking to the church. He says to the church, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, that's what the church is. It is a lamp placed on a stand, illuminating the darkness. That's what light means. It just illuminates darkness. And God has called the church to go into a dark world and to illuminate it with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the image he gives there is a lamp that has a bushel or a basket over it. And in Jesus' day, when someone would want to light up their house, what they would have to do is they would have to have a lamp. It would basically be a pot with olive oil in it with a wick coming out of it, and it would have fire that would burn. And they didn't want to extinguish the fire because fire was precious. They didn't have matches or lighters. So what they would do at night to cover the lamp, to hide the darkness, is they would just put a clay pot or a basket over it, and then that way they could sleep at night. And Jesus was basically saying that most are like that. They're like a lamp that has a basket or a bushel over it. But he says, no, that's not what the church is to be. We're to be like a light on a hilltop, radiating for the world to see so that they can know Jesus Christ. So we are light. And that's going to be very important as we look to Revelation chapter 2. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2, and I want you to see what Jesus says to the church. Now remember, he's writing down what is happening now. And Jesus, in Revelation 2 and 3, is going to talk very specifically to the church. Not just the church of Ephesus here, or the other six churches that he talks to. He is going to talk to the church. So let me read Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. Listen to what the Word of God says. Jesus says, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars." 
You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. As we look at this first church here, the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, there's just two specific things I want you to see. And the first thing I want you to see is what John says. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now here, the word angel, oftentimes when we see that in the Bible, what we're thinking is we're thinking of a divine being or a heavenly being. But I don't believe that's what John is talking about here when he says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Because in the Greek New Testament, the word angel just means messenger. That's all it means. It doesn't mean divine being or heavenly being. It means messenger. So who is the messenger for the church in Ephesus? Well, that would be the pastor or the bishop or the elder or whoever is proclaiming God's word to the church. So these letters are written to the messengers of the churches to teach the church, to proclaim God's word to the church because God's word is not given to angels, those heavenly beings who serve Christians or saints, as we'll see later on in Revelation. The word of God is given to the church. So the word angel there, I believe, is talking about the passenger or the messenger of the church. But then it's also very interesting, the first church that Jesus speaks to or writes a letter to is the church of Ephesus. And I believe this is very specific why he does this. All the other churches that Jesus talks here to Revelation 2 and 3, all of them are birthed out of the church of Ephesus. Perhaps no church in history has a more prestigious or a more just heroic past than the church of Ephesus. Because the church of Ephesus, you can read about it in the book of Acts. In Acts 18 through Acts 20 specifically, you see them. And the Apostle Paul visits the church of Ephesus on two of his missionary journeys, on the second one and the third one. And he goes back on his third missionary journey to this church, and he spends almost three years of his life in Ephesus teaching and preaching to this church. But not only that, he goes to the public square every day for over two years to proclaim Jesus and to make Jesus' name known. But also, after Paul leaves this church, he leaves his protege, Timothy, to pastor the church of Ephesus. And after Timothy pastors this church, the Apostle John, who is writing this letter, pastors the church of Ephesus. And more than likely, his first epistle, 1 John, is written to the church of Ephesus. We know the book of Ephesians is written to the Ephesian church. So this church has an incredible past, an incredible history, and they have done an incredible job of making the name of Jesus known throughout Asia and have birthed six other churches out of their church that we'll read about in Revelation 2 and 3. And when Jesus says to this church, he says two specific things. He says, I know you. I know all the things that you have done. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Jesus knows his church. Why? Because he and the church are one. They're inseparable. And the thing you'll see in Revelation 2 and 3 is Jesus Christ knows the churches there better than they know themselves. And the same is true today for every church that is on this earth. He knows us and he knows all the things he does. Now, why is this so important? Because in Revelation 3 to the church of Sardis, 
Jesus says this. He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now, I believe that's many churches, especially in our context in the West. There are many churches that from the outside looking in, they look alive because they have a lot of people attending. They have big offerings. They have good worship, good preaching. But Jesus Christ looks at them and says, you are dead. So a church can have the appearance of being alive but be dead. So the same can be true for the Christian. We can appear to have life, but yet when Jesus looks at us, he sees us as if we are dead. Why? Because we're all prone to wander. We're all prone to sin. And we're all prone to deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're better than we are. And as a believer, as a follower, you can deceive many people. You can deceive me as a pastor. You can deceive the person sitting beside you in a Bible study class. You can deceive your spouse. You can even deceive yourself. But you can never deceive Jesus Christ because he knows you. And in spite of knowing you, what the truth of Scripture is over and over is he loves you in spite of that. And we see that in Revelation 2 and 3 as he talks to the church our church. He loves us in spite of ourselves. And what he's doing here in Revelation 2 and 3 is he is rebuking us. He's disciplining us because he's caring for his church. He wants us to return to him and return to our calling. It's like a mom who is going to discipline her child. If she sees a young child heading forward a road, she is going to yell at them. She is going to rebuke them. Why? Because she wants that child to turn back and not walk on in that road, but turn back and come to her. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing to the church and for you as a believer. But also, if you are a non-believer, if you're not a Christian, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you. And in the book of Revelation, you see that love because he is warning you because he knows that judgment is coming and judgment for your sin. And he wants you to turn to him while there is still time. Because once he returns to this earth, there will no longer be time to turn to Jesus Christ. You will be judged and condemned for your sin. But the truth of Scripture is now you can turn to him and find his love and his grace and his salvation. Because right now he is a savior and he wants to save you. He knows us. He loves us. But this is what he says just a little bit later on. He says, I have a complaint against you. In verse 4, this is what he says. But I have this complaint against you, church. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So what is Jesus' complaint against this church of Ephesus and against us the church in 2020. His complaint is this. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So many people talk about this and they say, well, our love for Jesus has just grown cold or we've wandered away from Jesus Christ. But here's what Jesus is truly saying here. He's saying the evidence of your love for me is that you don't do the things you did at first. And if you go read about the book of Ephesus or the church of Ephesus and the book of Acts and Acts 19, you will see that they were a church that did what God called them to do and they shined bright in the darkness. Every day, Paul would go into the public arena and he would preach Christ crucified and resurrected for the sins of the world. And the church would take that message and they literally took it to all of Asia. So Greeks and Jews alike heard the name Jesus and they were saved and transformed and other churches were planted from them. 
But what happened to the church of Ephesus is they started having evil people and false prophets come in. So they took the word of God and they clung to the word of God and they held tight to it, but they kept it inside their walls and no longer did they love others with the word of God. They kept it to themselves. And so many churches in America do the very same thing. So many conservative churches who believe the word of God and they say it's infallible and it's inerrant and they stand upon it, which we should. But they do that but yet they don't do what it says, which is to proclaim it. Because Roman 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, and the only way people will hear the word of God is when the church illuminates the darkness, and they illuminate the darkness with truth, which is God's word. So he tells us as the church to turn back and to love people like we once did with the word of God, with the name Jesus. Does this have implications for us as a church, Northport Baptist Church? You better believe it does. Because I want you to see one last thing Jesus says. This is what he says in verse 5 of Revelation 2. He says, look how far you have fallen. He says, turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, what in the world does that mean when Jesus says, I will come and I will remove your lamp from its place among the churches? One thing you'll see if you look through the word of God and you see the image of light. Always light represents the presence of God. As Christians, that's what we're illuminating. We're trying to lead people into the presence of God, into the truth of Christ Jesus so they can be made right with God. That's because we want them to have the Spirit of God, the presence of God. And what Jesus is saying here is if we don't repent and turn back to the things that he's commanded us to do, that he will take our light, which simply means he'll take his presence. There's nothing sadder in this world than to walk into a church without the presence of God. Because they might still be singing, they might still be taking offerings, they still might be preaching, but what they're doing is pointless because they're doing it without the presence of God, without the power of His Spirit. And the same is true for believers. The same can be true for you. You can have the appearance of being alive, but you can be dead. Why? Because God's Spirit is no longer with you. His power is not flowing through you. He is not working through you because you've quenched the Spirit of God. By just simply deceiving yourself, maybe deceiving others around you, to thinking that everything is okay. But Jesus says, turn to me while there is still time. And if we do turn, and if we do repent, and if we do the works which we first did, which was to make the name of Jesus known, then what will Jesus do? He will use us for his glory, but not only that, to fulfill his kingdom right before he returns. Because Matthew 24, 14 says that the church will preach the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth, and then he will come. So Jesus Christ will use the church that is making his name known. But for the churches that are not, guess what happens to them? His presence is removed. And they just die. If you don't believe it, why don't you go try to find the church of Ephesus? One of the most historic churches in the history of the church no longer exists. Why? 
because they didn't turn. They didn't repent. They didn't listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. But thank God for us, there is time. And we can turn. And we can obey. And we can take the basket off of our light and be like a city on a hilltop making the name of Jesus known. There's a prayer I've been praying for our church for over five years now. And it's a verse of Scripture from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And the reason I pray Scripture is because I know when I'm praying Scripture, I'm praying the will of God. And Jesus tells me when I pray the will of God, I can ask for anything and it will be given unto me. So this is the prayer I pray for our church, North Fort Baptist Church, all the time. Isaiah 61 says, Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord is upon you. And then the Bible says this, Soon darkness, as black as night, will cover all the corners of the earth. But the glory of the Lord is upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings will come to see your radiance. I'm praying that we will arise and shine. What are we shining? Just simply the light that comes from Jesus Christ. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, no longer will you have to walk in darkness, but you can have the light that leads to life. Jesus is the light of the world. But right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he has left his church to be the light. The only light this world has is what we reflect of Jesus. And so church, God, Jesus has called and commanded us to love people by making his name known. And if we do that, we will see the return of Christ Jesus with our very own eyes. One of my favorite illustrations comes from the life of Robert Louis Stevenson the Scottish author and poet who lived in the 1850s. When he was a young child, he was very sick, and he rarely got to go outside, and he never got to go play with other kids. So oftentimes he would just stay in his room, and his nurse would come and care for him. One night she came in, and he was looking out the window. What he was watching was a lamplighter, someone who would come and light the lanterns. That's how they had street lights at night. He was watching this man, and the nurse asked him what he was doing. Robert Louis Stevenson just simply said this. He said, I'm watching the man knock holes in the darkness. Church, that is what Jesus is calling us back. He's calling us back to knock holes in the darkness, to make his name known. Because we are living in a day, in a time where Jesus says we can see the birth pains that are going to take place just before he comes. If you know anything about a pregnancy, a woman who is pregnant, she will start having birth pains even in the first trimester. She'll have some contractions and pains, but those birth pains will intensify as she gets closer and closer to delivering that baby. The same is true from the return of Christ. We are seeing birth pains now. Now, do I know what trimester we're in? No, no one else does either. But I know that Jesus is calling us to knock holes in the darkness, to be a light like a city on a hilltop, to make His name known because the day is drawing short. And as Romans 13 says, the time is drawing near. 
So church, arise and shine. Let me pray. Bow with me, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the calling that you've placed on each of our lives. Lord, I pray as a church and as a people, we would be faithful to your word. But not only would we be faithful to your word, but we would proclaim your word and not hold on to it. Lord, I thank you for people who have heard your word today. Lord, maybe for those who have never heard, maybe for those who don't believe and don't know. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that they would hear your voice and they would hear your call to repent and turn from their sin and turn to you while there is still time. So, Lord, use us for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, in just a minute, there are going to be some discussion questions up on the screen. And I hope that you will go through those discussion questions, maybe with your family, and you'll just learn more and dive deeper into the Word of God. As we close, just let me remind you of one thing. Last week I told you about a love offering we're doing for John Reed. So please remember that love offering. And if you're able to give to Brother John, would you please just give whatever you can to him? I told you last week that, of course, you know John's an evangelist, and the only way he has income basically coming in is by doing revivals. And for the last two months, he has not been able to do a single revival, so he hasn't had an income or a paycheck coming in. And so he is dependent on churches like us to help him during this time. And so I really felt called by God to help him. And so I hope you can give to that. And if you can, you can go on our website and give. There's a special place for a love offering with his name on it. You can write a check and mail it in, or you can even come by the church and drop it. But just love John and bless him during this time so that when we can come back from all that's going on right now, he can go out and proclaim the gospel and see the fruit that he has seen through his ministry through the years. So bless him in that. And then just one last thing. We are getting ready to meet and meet soon. And you're going to be getting some instructions this week of what we are planning on doing and how we're planning to do it. And as a church, we are going to make it perfectly safe for you to come and for you to come to worship. And we are going to have our capacity very limited where we're below 25% capacity. And we're going to assure that by registering online. And we'll send you links how to do that. But we will distance and we'll make sure that we have that and we'll make sure that everything is sanitized and we'll have everything set up so that you can feel comfortable coming to church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have three different services at three different times on Sunday. There'll be identical services, so no matter what service you register for, it'll be exactly the same. But if you don't feel comfortable coming back to church, then what you can do is you can simply watch it like you're watching now. We'll live stream the service and you will see it live and you can watch and worship from your home until you feel comfortable to join us. But I'm telling you, in the Bible, Jesus has called us to worship together. And in Hebrews, he says, don't forsake it. So God has called us to fellowship and worship together for a purpose so that we can build one another up and then go out and do what he has called us to do, which is to make his name known. So be watching, especially early in this week, for information so that we can meet and we can glorify and worship the name Jesus. And until then, I pray that God blesses you. Have a great day in the Lord. We'll see you soon.